dress is cute. We're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. So we've been in Matthew for almost a year. We started, September's our one year anniversary. Hey guys, no big deal. Big deal though. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us. I've only gained a lot of weight from all of our shared meals together, so it's fine. It's fine. We're loving each other well. We are loving each other well with food. And so, um, let's continue our series. Um, does anybody want to pray before we start? Well, voluntold it. I'll voluntold it. Voluntold it. Go, Mark. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the yummy food and just for your love and your caring and your drawing us in. You are such a great God. Just pray that you would be with On. She leads us and keep the kids contained. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to pull out your Bible, we're reading from Matthew 8. And we're going to do Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. Um, Jenna, do you want to start and just read uh, a verse? And then we'll go clockwise. Yes, 28, you said? Uh, Matthew 8, 23 23. to 27. Okay. When he got into the boat and his disciples, or then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, Ye of little faith, or ye of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. Ella, you read 27. The man were amazed. <laughs> the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the windows and even the winds and waves obey him. Awesome, thank you. So we're really breaking this chunk of scripture into two parts. The first part is verses 23-24, and then the second part is 25 through 27. So last week we talked about how uh, you have these experiences of Jesus um, in transport and he's doing all these miracles. So he's doing major healing miracles. He did, he healed the leper. So a man who had an illness that would cause him to be excommunicated from an entire community. He healed the centurion slave. So the centurion had the faith to ask to for somebody that he literally owned to be healed and Jesus healed the slave even though the slave wasn't even in the proximity of Jesus that Jesus said I'll go and I'll heal him and the centurion was like no you don't have to you just say the word and I know he will be healed because you are a man of authority and I am a man of authority and when I say something happens something happens and in that moment, Jesus goes, there has, like, up until this point, I have not met somebody who has faith like this Gentile. And then you have Jesus going to the house of Peter and healing his mother-in-law. And she was sick, and it said that he healed her. She got up, and she went, and she made food. Because later that night, Jesus would be doing ministry. And then after that, you have these experiences where people are saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he's like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to follow me? Because I don't think you know what it actually looks like to follow me. And he says that first to a Jewish scribe. So somebody who knew the law, he goes, I don't know. I don't think you know what you mean. And then he says it to a follower and he goes, I don't think you know what you mean. And then this next story is Jesus getting into this boat and he's crossing this lake. And what's really interesting here is like I was studying the scripture and I think that it's really easy in this scenario to say, um, okay, cool. Like this is another miracle. Jesus is essentially showing his power over water. Cool. That's a nature miracle. Like I can be down with that. I have these experiences essentially where Jesus is doing these miracles. And what I love about this scripture and what I was studying is that we can read scripture and we can take it at face value. Cool. Jesus did a nature miracle. That was the first nature miracle in his series of miracles or we can dig deeper and it reminded me when i was preparing of my favorite um quote that i've ever heard about the word of god and it was the bible is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in 
And it was this idea that there is so much depth available in the Bible that what we see is you can read the text and be like, cool, Jesus did a, a, a nature miracle. That's awesome. Or we can dig deeper and go deeper. And so that's where we're going to go today. And Why so wouldn't you just all. press the little circle arrow? Just go because no. then you have to drag. Yeah. It oh. just does it in like 10 second increments. Yeah. It's pretty rough. I really do <laughs> like that Wow. I don't YouTube enough. Yeah, no. Tom, Tom, I, I, YouTube. I know. Yeah. We're going to rein it back in and we're going to keep talking about the Bible. <laughs> Thanks for being flex. Um, so what I was saying was that um, what I love about this set of verse, verses is that we can look at it and be like, sweet, Jesus did a nature miracle. Cool. Or we can dig deeper, and that's the beauty of the Bible, is that, for example, when you first become a, like a Christian and you read the Bible, you read it without generally without context, without study. Like, you're reading it, and things stand out. Things make sense. But the more that you grow in our, your faith, the more things start to reveal themselves, and you can dig deeper. And so I believe that was St. Augustine that said this, that the Bible is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in, is that the Bible is more than meets the eye. And if we are going to continue to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and to allow that to be a plumb line in which we live our life, we have to be willing to study deeper in Scripture. And the three things that stood out to me as we read this, and I want to challenge us with, is when we read Scripture, we should be willing to, to discipline ourselves to ask why, what, and how. Why is this story in the Bible? What is this teaching me about God and myself? And how do I apply it to my life? And just even the questions of why, it makes us think deeper in the context of why the authors decided to add what they added to the Bible. The what is that the Bible teaches us about who God is, but the Bible teaches us about who we are, who, who humanity is. And then the how is that really, if we are not matching our actions to our words, we will not go and be light into communities that need Jesus. We will just be people who will, who will shout and no voice will come out. We will just be people who say, yeah, I believe in this. But unless our life and our words match up with our action, unless we actually apply biblical truth to our life, then what is the point when it comes to our interaction with the Bible? And so I wanted to ask you, like, when you... If this is your first time hearing the story about Jesus calming the storm, or if this is your hundredth time about Jesus calming the storm, my first question is, what did this show you? No, wait. Sorry, my question is, why do you think this story was placed right here in the middle of Jesus' miracles and his traveling? Don't shut me down now, guys. <laughs> Give me your first thought. Why do you think it was just randomly placed here? Or to us, it could seem random. Sweet, you're doing a ton of miracles. You're telling people about what it looks like to follow you. All of a sudden, you're on a boat. Sounds we, like a rap song. We just finished up the Beatitude, <laughs> and it says at the end, they were so amazed because he spoke with authority. Mm -hmm. he, he spoke not like, I'm teaching you about this stuff. He's like, I am this stuff. This is my stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is, I, there's a lot of these places, like the centurion, this is another one where it's Jesus is showing that authority mm -hmm. that he spoke about in the Beatitude, right? That's good. I think it's another place for the disciples to get checked. Because mm. they have seen all these other things, and yet in the middle of it, they still are not confident. They don't have full trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, like how many times? Lots and lots of times. Mm -hmm. It's the same. It's that principle of we can read this story and say, oh, it's a cool, it's a nature miracle. Awesome. Or we can dig deeper and actually, like, begin to think that the physical storm that they walk through are equal to the like the life storms that we walk through we might not be in a boat in the middle of the sea of galilee like with waves that are crashing into the boat and we're thinking i'm gonna die which bt devs drowning is like my worst fear of like how to die 
right after getting eaten by a shark or those two combined together is not my preferred way to go. Just fun fact. <laughs> Just fun fact about me. <laughs> but you think that these storms that the disciples experience represent the storms that we experience in our life. And so this idea of, well, how do we apply the scripture to our life? is how do I take the Bible for more than just what I read and my first thought about it? How do I dig deeper into what this can actually mean and how I apply it to my life? Because we begin the application of scripture to our life when we begin to dig below the surface, when we begin to discipline ourselves to, be, to ask questions. And here's the thing, is like, I remember when Riley and I were youth pastors, um, we recognized that the hardest kids to ever share the gospel with and share Jesus with were kids who grew up hearing about Jesus their entire life. Because they already thought they knew, so there's nothing more to know. And that was when we made a decision in the way that we wanted to one day raise our kids is that I don't want our girls to think that they are Christians because we are Christians. I don't want them to claim this faith because they're like, well, this is my my parents' faith, so this is what I'm going to do. I want them to think about why they believe what they believe, why they would choose Jesus, because every individual person will answer for their decisions in their life. And I want my children to one day think, I want, I am following Jesus because this is my faith. I am in ministry because this is what God has called me to do. And for the longest time, I never wanted to be in ministry because I didn't want to raise pastor's kids. I did not want to raise my children in the church because I saw what that looked like. And then I realized that was a really stupid reason to not do what God called me to do. Because at that point, I allowed my fear to get in the way of what I knew God was calling me to do. And so this application of truth and this application of like how we're going to read this text is that we have to be willing to dig deeper into the why, the what, and the how. And this story, it shows the, Jesus in his full, full nature of God and his full nature of man. So he's walking around, he's doing all these miracles, he's traveling. So when the verse says, they, were, they got on a boat, they, the disciples followed him. And when it says the disciples or the men, that was referring to the 12 disciples that were really his homies and his cronies, they get into the boat with him. All of a sudden a, stor a storm hits, but Jesus is asleep. And for the longest time I wondered why would he fall asleep? And then you realize Jesus is fully man as much as he's fully God. That he just spent days, if not weeks, traveling, healing people, and constantly being surrounded by people as he went and he spoke. So there had to be mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, physical exhaustion. Yesterday we went and walked Bertheson Trail, and those roads aren't paved and I realized I feel more physically exhausting walking unpaved roads than paved roads. And those were all the roads back in Jerusalem and back in the Middle East. They were all unpaved. So he was walking and he was doing these things. Of course, it yeah, it makes sense he would be asleep. He is fully man as he is fully God. But like Martha and Riley both said that this story captures the authority of who Jesus is as fully God. Because back in those days, the way that people viewed water and the elements of nature was that water was powerful. Water was not something that you were willy-nilly with. Water was dangerous. And keep in mind that of the 12 disciples, several, several, several of them were fishermen. So when Jesus got on the boat and then they followed him, the boat that they got in, in the sea that they were in was the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, the way that it was positioned was that a side of it was against a cliff. And what happens was that crazy, like, raging winds would whip through because of the landscape. And it would, storms would just happen. And these windstorms would happen and they would take out people and they would take out boats. So Jesus gets in the boat. His 12 disciples follow him. Them being fishermen... Growing up around fishermen, there had to be a moment where they considered, we are about to go into the Sea of Galilee. We are about to go into this place that is known for its raging storms that can just happen. We are about to go into a potentially dangerous situation, but they go anyways. 
Because the story in the context before this set of verses was that there, people were saying, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. And he's like, I don't think you know what you're saying. So his 12, they follow him. They follow him into a potential storm. And so the storm happens. Literally, crap hits the fan. And they are freaking out. So they wake him up. And the thing is that these were fishermen asking a carpenter for help. So what along their experience with Jesus did they recognize that even with all of their skills, their years of experience, that they would need to ask somebody who did not have the same set of experience to help save them? And so this is what really shocked me about this. Or like the, even these four verses that we're studying. They follow him to a storm. Crap hits the fan. He's asleep because he's fully man too. And then he gets up. The story continues with a conversation of, with people about discipleship. I don't know why it says about discipleship, about discipleship. But essentially, this is a continuing story about that conversation Jesus is having with People, do you know what it means to follow me? And what is difficult about this, and when I was writing this, because when I write my sermons, I start off with this idea of so what? So what about this set of scriptures? And when I typed out what I thought was clearly my so what, I was so uncomfortable writing it because it challenged my own theological understanding of who God is because what this was is like we use language like God allows storms to happen in our life. God allows it, which is true. But what we see here was that God led them to it. God put them in it. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he got into the boat, had them follow him, fall asleep, and then being in the Sea of Galilee. The fishermen probably knew there was risk. And I wrestled with this idea that God led them into the storm because I recognize I haven't used that language in a really long time. I use language to soothe my own life, to think God allows me to walk through storms. Because God is a good guy. God is also a just God. God is also a God that is willing to put us in situations where we do have to assess where our faith lies. So Jesus led them into danger. He led them into this place where they would, they would have to count the cost. Did they know who they were with? Did they understand the authority of Jesus? Did they understand what it meant to be with him? And the 12, why it was significant that it was the 12, was that these men have spent a while with Jesus. They were with him when he did every miracle. And these were the miracles that were recorded. They were with him in the ins and outs of life of traveling ministry. And so this is another story of counting the cost of what it looks like and where our faith is when we follow Jesus. And if I look at my life, if I look at our life together, there are situations where I can say God allowed us to, to go through storms. But if I look at it in context of this piece of scripture, this section of scripture, Oh, I can think of times where God led us straight to the storm, led us straight to a situation where our faith would be tested because it's not just this physical storm that they were in in the Bible. It is spiritual storms. It is storms. It is life. It is chaos. It is tribulation. You know, as we were planning for all of September, October, November, and December, we were going through a section of verses where, teach, where Jesus teaches and he promises them things will be hard. Things will suck sometimes. If they rejected me, they will reject you. Heads up. You're going to go into a town and you're going to preach the gospel and people will not listen to you. And he tells them up front, this is what it's like to follow me. And it's crazy because we don't tell people up front what it's like to follow Jesus. 
We do not share that following Jesus and having faith in Jesus does not mean that life is just lollipops and unicorns and things look really aesthetically filtered and pleasing on our social media life. It is hard when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. It is hard when there are struggles in marriage. It is hard when you have relational strife. It is hard when you go through storms and you go through situations where things don't make sense. And you wonder, why is God asleep? You wonder, why is God not answering you the way you want to be answered with all the things you can't control? The storm that Jesus led them to was a storm that they could not control. It was completely out of their control. And it made me so uncomfortable to write that, that God will lead us to storms. Because it went against the way that we want to talk about faith in the open. Because we weren't, we are rarely raised to preach the entirety, the wholeness, the fullness of the gospel. Every single week when Riley and I think about church, I struggle with this deep and like this thing inside of me that it's like, we don't have enough uh, uh, sandwich boards to put all over the city. We're not spending enough money on things and door handles and flyers. Um, We don't have a perfectly catered social media. We don't have all these things. We are not raffling enough sneakers or something to get people to church. (laughs) I internally struggle with this. But this is the context of church that I know. That we build these things to say, come, look at us over here, the church. We are so relevant. We are so Cool, you want to be a part of this. You definitely want to be a part of this with our on brand, with all these things. This is it. We are not saying come and be a part of community where we show you that it is not about perfection. Come and be a part of something where you are known and you are seen and people invest in your children and they invest in you. Come and let us love you. We don't say those things as much as we say come and see what we do as a church and be attracted to these things because we want to show the things that are maybe attractive about our faith but what is attractive about our faith does not anchor our faith and that is why I struggled with this because even as I struggle with house church and I struggle with like Lord I feel really weird And that sounds weird, like full confession. I feel really weird when I'm like, yeah, every week there's just people in my house and it's just normal. I feel very exposed in my life because people are entering into my space. I I recognize that I used to judge house churches hardcore because I'm like, you guys are a bunch of weirdos. And then, oh my gosh, we are now gathering weirdos. You're a weirdo. I don't know. Like, it's just weird. (laughs) And I struggle because it's not what I've ever known because the language that I've always used to talk about the church and talk about faith is very comfortable and it feels very good. God allows trials to happen, but we never tell people that God will lead you straight to the trial. God will lead you straight to the storm. God will lead you right, right there. And then I realized, holy crap, when we parent our children, we will eventually put them, like we will never actually put them in physical danger. If you are, there's other things we need to talk about. (laughs) But you think about it, when you put your kid in school with the rate of bullying in Linden, you are putting your kid into a storm. I am putting my kid into a storm. Anytime now that we send our children into the world, We are putting them into potential storms. No joke. Every time I turn on Netflix now, I'm like, if, what are you watching? What are you just going to casually see? Because if I sit there and I watch it with you, I realize in my mind, I'm like, are they teaching you things that we don't agree with, but they make it fun and cute. So it becomes acceptable. We as parents who love our children uh, put them into situations where their faith, their emotions, their mind, their spirit, they will be tested. 
God will lead us into places where our emotions and our mind and our bodies and our spirit will be tested. Just like Jesus did with these 12. Because Jesus is constantly saying, are you sure? Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't bamboozle people. Christians bamboozle people. People say bamboozle, right? Mm -hmm. Go ham, bamboozle. (laughs) I'm just saying. My vocabulary since marrying Riley has exceeded all expectations. Is that what Riley has taught you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, uh, we I go know. ham! I've never used it. <laughs> but, I know, but I want you to think about it. Okay? <laughs> and so the so what here is that following Jesus means we'll experience storms. Following Jesus means we will endure hardship. Following Jesus means we will be led into situations where we will not be in control, but we must know who is in control because that's following Jesus. That, those are the parts. That is wholeness. And I really believe that following Jesus means that we will have many opportunities to ask ourselves, are we committed to this? Is this the life that I want? I give you 100% fact when life gets really hard when we are undergoing spiritual warfare when I am in a bout of depression when that is my life I ask myself is this what I really want to be and do and then I recognize and I look back and there is nothing I'd rather do than be with Jesus and if that means this I'll do this because I imagine That it is in situations where crap hits the fan and things are super hard is where we learn where our faith lies. So you have this experience with Jesus and his disciples. Homeboys were with him the entire time he was doing miracles. The leper healed. But this wasn't like a mysterious healing where you couldn't see the actual healing. Like his body was most likely covered with scabs and sores and pus and ulcers and he he's healed and that the physical changes broken legs healed the lame walk the blind see the deaf hear the disciples were with him they were seeing all these things and now they're in a storm and they are losing their right mind and they're like we are gonna die why aren't you helping us You are sleeping? How dare you? Jesus. And they're in this situation and we see where their faith lies. And I wrestled with asking, clearly I wrestle a lot is what I've come to the conclusion of. But what I do like about our community is that we do get to ask questions like this. What storm are you in? And how can we pray for you? What storm have you been through that you are willing to share with us so that maybe you can impart hope, peace from your story of what Jesus has done in your life, in your storm, so that other people can be encouraged. So if you want to share a storm that you're walking through right now, where there are a lot of things out of your control, you are wrestling with where faith is at right now, where Jesus is at, Or if you want to share a story of a storm you've been through. And why I added that part was because it will not be fancy branding, uh, sandwich boards, more blow-up houses, sneaker giveaways, building, signage, media strategy, whatever it is. These are all things that I have done in the church that will bring people to Jesus. It will be Christians sharing the word of God and the story of God in our own lives that will bring people, that will draw people to these communities. But we have lost the value of our testimony and the journeys that we have walked because we might feel shame, anger. We might feel like we'll be judged because we're sharing some parts 
of our life that makes us vulnerable and nobody wants to be vulnerable. And the sad thing is that it seems like people are really scared to be vulnerable inside a Christian community, which should be the community where you would feel the most freedom to not have things put together, to not have everything figured out. And so do we have anybody here who wants to share, maybe one person share a story of a storm that they might be in and another person share a story of a storm that they have walked through? I have one that I've walked through. Um, when I had my foster girl living with us, um, it was very traumatic because um, her life was extremely traumatic. And there was a lot of um, spiritual darkness and everything, and that came into my house. Mm. And um, so when she left, um, I didn't really know what to do with all that and I didn't really have anybody to really talk to about it mm -hmm. and so I just kind of bottled it up and moved on um, but so it's been a really hard several months since she left a year was it it's been over a year I think yeah. um, and I'm just now coming out of it Even through that, God was there. He, mm -hmm. was, he was with us. He, mm -hmm. um, he led us into that, um, into that trial to build our faith in Him through it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That was great. Yeah. Anybody want to share maybe a storm that they are in right now? Babe, I feel like we can share ours just with your upcoming surgery and stuff. I feel like we are in a season for our family where we are in the middle of a storm. Like we had to pivot really quickly with Riley's ankle to go from uh, really like we had a month to prepare for the surgery and prepare for all everything that would be this to in 24 hours going from Riley working full-time to part-time and what that looks like for our family when it came to finances. And then we had to prepare for his surgery. And it wasn't until one of my coworkers, like, because Riley's gonna be, he can't have any weight on his foot for three weeks. Like just being the wife and knowing like Riley loves to work and Riley finds so much joy in using his hands and doing stuff. And just knowing for three weeks that's going to be very difficult. And I was sharing that with one of my coworkers, and she goes, and it wasn't until she said something that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the, we're in the middle of a storm right now. But she was like, so you're working full time, you're planting a church, you're going to be your children's primary caretakers, and you're going to take care of Riley in the middle of this. And I was like, oh my gosh. So every day. Since is, you said it like that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> perspective and I just realized oh my goodness where is my faith at in the middle of this where am I finding assurance that even when there's so many things out of our control and I'm worst case scenario like that's how I live and thrive which I'm like burn everything down everything is on fire um it's the extremist in me like if I'm upset with something I'm like burn it all down mm -hmm. pyro and that's not healthy. Um, I used to drive up to my house and just assume that it was on fire. And if it wasn't on fire, like, we were good. Like, yay, house is on fire. I generally, surprise guys, every time I have a meeting, so we all work together. Every time I have a meeting with my boss, I think I'm going to get fired. So I prepare myself to pack my cubicle. It's very traumatizing. It's very stressful. It's, I live a very, so, like, I'm thinking, like, Riley's going to have surgery, like, what is all of a sudden our kids are gonna never listen and we're we are not gonna have food and it's gonna be so stressful and then I just had to stop before I even got down like a worse trail and you're like wow there's a worse trail there is okay but I had to stop and realize who has always provided for our family God has always been so faithful with to our family we have never lacked and then I thought 
how am I going to do this? And that was when I was like, I'm going to, I have to humble myself and I need to ask for help. And this goes straight into this next verse because the disciples went and they woke him up. They're like, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And then Jesus gets up, rebukes them, calms the storm. And he's like, you have such little faith. And I was like, true. But whatever, you know. And then I recognize knowing when you need help and knowing your weakness is a spiritual strength. We live in a culture that says asking for help or having weakness, any sort of weakness is a flaw. But the thing about being in community was when I recognized I need help in my storm, I need help to figure out logistics was when I asked Martha, Martha's putting, and I'm humbly asking for help because Martha, I was like, I, I can't work from home and do my job, take care of the kids, their first full week of school, because that was really great timing was let's also put them into school where they just adjust so well to all these changes. Let's do that. Um, And honestly, and feed my family. One of those things I had to give, and it was feeding my family. So that was when Martha was like, it's not weird for you to ask people if they will bring you food. And I was like, you're right. I have done my fair share of meal deliveries. I'm going to need help. If it's any consolation, I mean, I broke my leg and I do everything, right? Just yeah. like, you know, take care of my family. Look, it works. My yeah. family lives. Yeah, it works. <laughs> my family lives. And I just realized asking for help is not weakness. It is wisdom. You have to know your boundaries. And we all have boundaries. When Jesus showed that he is fully man, him sleeping is boundary. Him sleeping is my physical body needs this and right now i'm studying this idea of sabbath and real and it kind of freaked me out but he was saying we can like bear down and plow through but our bodies need sleep to operate you can you can stay awake for x amount of hours but eventually you'll just crash and it'll be a mess and this the author describes sleep he's like sleep is that one time where you have no defense of yourself you have no awareness of what's going on around you. You wouldn't know. So, like, he just gave really weird descriptions. And I was like, now I'm freaking out about sleep. Now I can't sleep. Now I can't sleep. But the idea was like, when we sleep, we trust that the Lord will protect us and our family. And this was that experience. Like, Jesus had that boundary. His physical body is like sleeping. And the disciples were like, we now need help. A bunch of fishermen asked a carpenter for help. In a scenario where they probably had more world knowledge of how to fix this situation than Jesus had. And they're like, we need help. And it stood out to me that knowing when you need help and being humble, like being humbled and asking for help does not make you weak. It makes you wise. Because what that does in community is that you're inviting people into a space where you cannot be the strongest one. You're inviting people into a space where weakness is now allowed because you have been asking for help. That knowing that when we are in community, there are things that we are great at and there are things that we suck at. And it is wise to know what you suck at, just as wise as it is to know what are you great at. Because the things that you are great at, you get to come alongside people who struggle maybe with that thing. And so I wanted to ask us, and this is where, like, I want us to go around in a circle and just say, what is something you are not good at? I'll go first. I suck at details. I'm like, look at the whole freaking forest. Isn't it amazing? And someone's like, look at the individual tree. I'm like, no, look at the whole thing. Like, if you ask me to do something detailed, you, you are asking me to stab a pencil in my eye. It just makes my body die i suck at it i suck at it. that's just not something i'm good at is detail stuff marf what is something you're not good at hmm, don't worry I, this might feel like a downer no, but like there's fine. an uphill <laughs> i'm probably stuck at staying on task i like have add and i do like a thousand squirrel. things squirrel <laughs> at the same time l you want to share Not good at reading. 
better reading. You're getting way better. You're getting. Now. I'm so proud of you for reading, though. The last verse, girl. Here, high five. Hugsies later. I've read this summer. That was that was like a big task. I've read like this whole entire summer. I'm so proud of you. Awesome. I'll take you to the fanciest ice cream place in town. Woo! At Lance. Baby. Um. Shots fired. <laughs> Lack of filter? <laughs> uh, recognition is something I don't enjoy. I don't know. So I'm not good at man. I'm not good at lots of things. <laughs> I don't know. Can I have answers to questions? I'm good at taking compliments. Yeah. I'm not good I'm not good at saying no. I'm not good at not being prepared. <laughs> I don't like spur the moment. Oh my god. <laughs> so you're a J, right? On the, yeah, on the, the minor spray. I'm a Johnson, yeah. A J. <laughs> <laughs> you're no great at dad jokes. Jess? I'm not good at saying no. Good at saying no. Elizabeth? Um, I am not good at keeping things organized. Oh, preach, man. <laughs> preach it. That should have been mine, yeah. <laughs> it's like the trauma way, right? I know. Faith is really great for that. Light it on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I really re- resounded with that. Yeah. <laughs> I really resounded with light it up! Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, there's a lot of things in this year. But the first thing that comes to mind is how bad I am at keeping my house clean. <laughs> so whatever it is that does that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, called, it's, called, it's called children. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Dark in your house, yeah. saving electricity, <laughs> stewardship, no big deal. Yeah, no one can see. That's really like, uh, that was a good idea. <laughs> um, I'm not good at many things. The one I will share today is saying no. <laughs> um, the first thing that came to mind was I'm one of the best procrastinators. <laughs> top 100. I'm probably in the top 100. <laughs> Okay, and so the next question is, what is something you're really good at? And I made a note, this might be really awkward to say out loud. Because we live in a culture where we don't, it, it feels awkward and vain to, to verbally say, I'm really good at this. But what's crazy is that we're constantly trying to affirm our children to believe in these things. And then somewhere along the line in culture, it's better to talk poorly, like to talk down about yourself. And so I want you to marinate on like, what is something that you're really good at? Am I starting? Yeah, you can. Yeah, go girl. Uh, I'm really creative at anything. I can draw. Mm-hmm. I can do flowers. You can have curtains. Girl. I can have curtains. I can make dresses. I can do anything. I'm really creative. I don't use it enough. Your turn. Swimming. Oh, yeah, you are pretty good. I was really athletic. I am not. That should have been something I'm not good at. 
Very patient. Yes. <laughs> My good man you are. <laughs> I admire your patience. I think it's amazing. What are you trying to say, Mark? <laughs> He's a really patient man. He's That's patient. what I'm trying to say. Right That's all I'm trying to say. Um, I'm really good at getting stuff done because I can't say no. So my house is still not packed. Things. Like I just can't do it. <laughs> Probably because I didn't say no to anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Wound care. Yeah. Somebody needs support. Yeah. Not yeah. saying it. If somebody had a gash out there, you're a girl. She got me. What, last week? Yeah. Because toe print. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I don't know. It's weird, but. I'm loving, I'm loving. No, I think yeah. that's awesome. That's a really good skill to have. Okay. Perfect. I'm like, wrap a band aid around it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I can come look at. Oh my god, because it won't be me. (laughs) I just say, but did you die? I'm just kidding. A lot. Is it green and pussy? You're fine. Uh, I am really good at pushing my limits. myself in situations where I have to be stretched and I struggle with not being in situations where I'm not stretched. You gotta meet Tom. (laughs) I love to be challenged. I like to exist in critical situations. My counselor said that I'm the best person to have if there's like an apocalypse. So heads up. Zombie apocalypse. Go into Aunt's house. Yeah, go to Aunt's house because like straight up I just go into survival mode. Totally take out some zombies. We could eat our chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, what is something you're really good at? Um, I think that I'm really good at helping others see the bright side. Mm. And like that person was probably more annoying in the moment because I'm like. Your toe fell off. Yeah, you have nine other ones that are were great. They're great. <laughs> Justin's face. Yep. <laughs> that was a great example. It is what it is. Top eight on my space right there. <laughs> we balance each other out. <laughs> Getting people excited about stuff. Yes. <laughs> Encourager? Yeah. yeah. Let's go on an urban hike. What's that? An urban hike. 
We just climbed cement piles. <laughs> cement piles? Yeah. I was like, let's go to the train tracks. And they're like, where does the eye fire? And I was like, this is, this is it. This is like that one time was... found an underground beehive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take that. Don't do that. <laughs> but why I asked us what we are not great at and what we are great at is because community is strengthened when each of us recognize that we need each other. That when you are weak, when you have a weakness or you have space to grow in something and somebody is naturally gifted or have learned to be strong in an area, it's when we come along the side of each other. And I don't believe that there's pride in healthy relations and healthy community. Because pride stops us from saying, I need help. Imagine if they didn't wake Jesus and they're like, no, 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 we got this, we got this. We're dying, but I think we got this, guys. Somewhere along the lines, one of the 12 had to be like, we need Jesus. We need the carpenter because at this point, it's either him or we're going to perish. And my favorite, my favorite like way of describing Christians and the church, which are believers, is the function of the body. That the thumb doesn't look at the eye. It's like, I don't need you. It's like, no, the thing is that we all need each other. That each of us have a way that we are created to be used that, like, like I, I think in terms like Martha and I. I am not, like, like Martha is our church admin because details, like, kill me inside. Okay. Deeply inside. Riley is so strong with patience because I am not, I want to light everything on fire. Um, like just like just the way that we're detailed and we're gifted is so that we can be in stronger community. And what grieves me about the state of the church is that we are not historically known to be great at making fe people feel like they have a place amongst us if they don't have their crap figured out. I have lost count of the amount of times that I've had to have conversations with people and they would say, I'm wrestling with my faith, therefore I do not go to church. That they don't believe that they could be a part of a community of believers if they did not behave the same way or even believe what we believe. And the thing is that this should be the place where you come and wrestle with faith. That you ask questions and you should be met with stories and love and acceptance because none of us have our crap figured out but if we keep projecting the ideal that we have everything figured out as christians we set an unattainable goal that we we don't even meet and we create a community that says i don't need you but the reality is that we need each other because that is community and so in that point, in that moment, the disciples goes, we need help. We don't know what we're doing. We're waking Jesus up. And they did the right thing. They asked for help. They first were wondering why he was asleep. And they asked for help. They asked if a carpenter. They were desperate. So Jesus wakes up. But this is the interesting part, was that he rebukes him before, he, before he, he does the miracle. He corrects them. So my question is, why do you think Jesus corrects them and rebukes them before he performs the miracle? Before I fix a problem for them, I generally sit them down and I'm kind of, and I'm like, well, what happened? What did you do? Mm -hmm. Why did you do? What do you think you should do? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, now let's go fix the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It teaches you to, it way. teaches you to think about 
yeah. what you're thinking about or your actions, right? Mm-hmm. It teaches you to internalize the, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then process, hopefully. Yeah. As you see the solution. Figure out what you should have done the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also makes me think, like, he knows he has enough time to do this. Okay. Right? Like, to him, it's not that big of a deal. Like oh, that's true. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He knows, like, we can do this and then take care of this. You guys want to... You know, there, I'm sure there was danger, right? They, especially for them, but yeah, that's something that I thought about. He's trying to prepare them that, like, yeah, you have me now, but you're not always going to mm-hmm. right here. So you need to remember mm-hmm. that I'm not leaving you still right here. Yeah. yeah. In the realm and the context that this is another scenario where he is teaching them about what it means to follow him. They were with him in all these miracles. They're in the midst of of this miracle situation and he rebukes him and he goes why do you have such little faith the question is you have been the situation is you have been with me this entire time you have seen miracles you have seen me operate in an authority that is not of man but of God and here you are freaking out because at some point your freak out your the physical circumstance overtook what you knew to be spiritually true that you were so overwhelmed by the storm that you forgot that i am god fully god fully man that this scenario and the situation that you were in right here made you forget that i just healed a leper by my word i healed a slave by simply touching a person she was healed you forgot all of that because of this storm and the rebuke comes before the restoration because we have to be willing when we are rebuked to think about our whys instead of being offended we have to think why were they so afraid if at that point they've been following Jesus for a while and they've seen all these things and he has taught them all these things where did those things that they learned and their their trust in God, where did it go? <clears throat> and so he does this. And I was like, why do we get so fearful in situations when we know who our God is or what we believe? And here's the thing is like, I am so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of easily forgetting who my God is when I feel... I begin to freak out because there are so many things that are out of my control. My counselor said that I'm really great in critical situations because of the trauma and abuse that I experienced as a child. So I operated constantly at a heightened sense of like survival. But then she also said like that heightened sense of um, survival that will break, that will essentially break you if you constantly exist in this place. And because of my childhood, I also struggle with the lack of control. I really like to control things. Faith is really hard for me because there are so many things I can't control. One of my greatest fears that I can't control is the outcome of my children's spiritual life. So with a greater gamble be not to not be a believer and to not even have to worry about whether or not they will be raised believing are not believing in Jesus or to be a believer and to raise them up and to see them if they choose to walk a season apart from the Lord I can't control that there are so many things out of my control and I like to manufacture control so I am so guilty of freaking out in the middle of the storm because I like control just like I'm sure the fishermen liked control of the boat that they have spent a good portion of their life in. And so he rebukes them. And then he puts peace after the chaos of the storm. That in that moment, he is fully God. He is fully man. In that moment, Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he is able to give peace in the hardest situations. He's able to bring a stillness and a calm in the middle or even to eliminate chaos completely. He is Jesus. And our belief in who he is and what he is able to do must anchor us in our storms. But in order to anchor us in our storms, we have to discipline ourselves 
to be in the word, to even learn who Jesus is, to be in prayer so we can be aligning and abiding with him, to be in Christian community so that we can experience him through other people. Here's the thing. This is a side note. This is a freebie, not even related to this sermon. I love me a good old confession conflict and confrontation and context of that. And all the people who hate it are like, oh, dear God, what is she going to say next? just kidding (laughs) but we have sin creates conflict between us and God Jesus comes in and offers us the reconciliation the grace the peace the mercy when we are not willing to deal with conflict one-on-one together like this how will we know what grace is like this people to people human to human husband to wife friend to friend all these situations is that conflict and confrontation allows us the space to experience the thing that we preach that Jesus gives to people if they choose to to be reconciled to the Father. So when we avoid conflict, and I'm not saying be a jerk like nobody likes a douchebag. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying go out there seek conflict because you're real trying to experience that grace and that mercy. That is not what I'm saying. Like, at all. This is recorded. So they got the douchebag part and the part where I say, like, don't be stupid. (laughs) But when there is conflict and there is opportunity to reconcile, we have an opportunity person to person, friend to friend, to experience forgiveness, grace, mercy. If that is not the gospel that we preach, how can we preach what we do not know? And so he brings us into this place where he is the Prince of Peace. So we need to be in his word so we know who he is. We need to know the story of God. We need to be in prayer so we can be aligning and abiding our life with God, the living God. He is not a God of this book that we read. He is real and he is living. The Holy Spirit is real and moving. And we need to be in community where we will experience conflict but we will experience grace and mercy and love. We need these things because who he is and what he is able to do will anchor us when we walk through the storms that we will walk through. And so our belief in who Jesus is needs to be the anchor in the storm. Our belief in who Jesus is must sustain us during the storm. And our belief in who Jesus is helps us weather all things. And that is the thing about faith, and that is the thing about following Jesus. Is that we will go through storms, and we will go through great times. We will go through seasons where there is very little, and we will go through seasons of abundance. Jesus is the same in both. God is the same in both. And we need to know who he is so we can call upon him. They called upon Jesus. They did the right thing, but they still needed to be rebuked because they needed to learn. They were with him this entire time and they still did not get it. And he's constantly saying, are you sure you want to follow me? I remember one of the first messages that I preached at our church was that I don't want people, this sounds terrible, but... I don't want people to choose Jesus because of hype or emotion. I want someone to consider the cost. Because when somebody considers the cost of what it actually means to live your life in full obedience to God, my job as a pastor will not be dragging you along and be like, just read your Bible. Just pray. Just show up. It will not be dragging. It won't be dragging dead weight in the faith. Because you have counted the cost and you have decided this is the way you want to live and this is the way we will be that we will be a church that is in our community and I end on that takeaway because Jesus is constantly saying are you sure you're counting the cost of what it means to follow me and we need to be counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus And we need to live an authentic real life where we are inviting people into the space, into the good space, into the hard space of what it means to be people of faith. 
Because Jesus did not fool anyone when they asked him what it was like to follow him. But we are constantly, and I say we as a church, we are constantly trying to sell the gospel and sell Jesus. And he doesn't need to be sold. He just needs to be the center of our life. And when Jesus is the center of our life and we are operating the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, we do not need all the extras. We just need to love people. We need to show up and we need to love well and people will begin to wonder, who is this Jesus? Who is this God that you serve? I think we are not far from the days where we have to ask, just like Jesus asked the people, who said, Jesus, I want to follow you. He's like, are you sure? Because this is what it looks like following me. I'm going to lead you to storm. We need to be people who in ourselves are wondering what it means to follow and what is the cost of following Jesus. And so as we end our time together, what I would really love to do, and this is my favorite part of church besides reading scripture aloud together and the food. Okay, there's a lot of things that I like. (laughs) But my favorite thing is takeaway. And why this part of our time together is so like important to me as a pastor is that I don't think we get a lot of opportunities to hear someone in front of us say how they interpreted or how they like how they interpreted this in her message, what they thought about the word of God, what they are feeling. There are a lot of things, a lot of screens that get in the way between this conversation of like, how did that person sitting across from me interpret scripture? How did they experience God? And there's deep value in us sharing what it is, what we took away from our time together. And it could be how you felt, what stood out to you, anything. And so, Martha, do you want to kick us off with your takeaway? Yeah. Yeah, so this last weekend, 